Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Broadway Talks, where I sit down with Broadway stars and discuss the magic that is theater. In this episode, I'm joined by the incredibly talented Tally Sessions, who is currently starring as Harry, Larry, Peter, and the PJ Understudy on Company on Broadway. Hi, Tally. Hey, Arav, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm very well, all things considered. That's true. That's how all of us are feeling <laughs> during this time. That's right. It's an, it, it's an interesting time in the world and in, and in the theater industry. So we're, yeah. we're, we're, staying, we're staying positive and keeping a, um, uh, a sunny outlook. Right. Sending positive vibes every day. That's right. So for those of you who don't know who Tally is, he is incredibly talented and his resume is absolutely insane. So Tally, I really want to know, how did you get into theater and the arts in general? Um, well, I, the first time I was on stage uh, was not really my choice. My mother was a, a high school English and drama teacher, and she threw my brother and I on stage, I think when we were five or six, and we had no lines in a couple of musicals she'd done. But it's not like I got the bug then. Um, uh, I was a kid who was uh, pretty studious and... Um, uh, played a lot of sports, but it, it's it's so strange how these things happen. I was, remember being at a baseball game in seventh grade, and um, a I was singing something. I you know I was just like you know like kids do. I was just singing around, and one of my friends said, "Hey, you can really sing," and I was like, "Oh, really?" And um, I auditioned for a uh, a musical in the seventh grade called the electric sunshine man, which was about Thomas Edison. And I was uh, auditioning in, in our um, singing. Uh, I believe the song was uh, uh, on Broadway. Uh, and um, I was singing in the auditorium and the chorus teacher who had nothing to do with the musical happened to be walking by in the hallway and he stopped and I finished singing. And from all the way back in the, in, in the auditorium, he said, young man. And I said, yes, sir. His name was Mr. Kiesler. Uh, and he said, you're going to be in chorus next year. And I was like, okay. Um, and, uh, nice, and I cool. was, and yeah, and I was, and just one of those things where whenever people find the thing that really brings them joy, it's, it's, it's an aha moment. It's an epiphany. And that's what it was for me. I didn't realize how much I loved singing until I started doing it all the time and music and and through high school, I, uh, I was in the chorus, and then my best friend uh, decided he was going to take drama our junior year, and I decided I would do that too. And I started acting in plays, and I really liked it, but it still hadn't, like, I, ha I really liked it, but it wasn't that, like, thunderstruck moment yet, like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And it wasn't until I went to the University of North Carolina and um, was started performing in, in plays and musicals there um, through the various theater companies at, at the school that I, re it really took hold of me and I wanted, felt like I wanted to do it, it that it was um, sort of the reason that I'd been put on the earth. Um, that, that that was the best way and the most joyful way for me to articulate uh, my soul, you know? So, and I've been doing it ever since and I've been very lucky in that regard. Mm -hmm. And so uh, did you originally audition for University of North Carolina's drama program or did you switch into it later on? Uh, I, I switched into it, but the, um, at the University of North Carolina, it's a Bachelor of Arts. It's not ah, okay. uh, a Bachelor of Fine Arts, so there's not a, an audition protocol. Uh, my degree is actually a Bachelor of Arts in drama, 
not performance. Um, so what I did while I was there was I took every performance uh, class, every acting class they offered, um, which probably was, I think, six. Uh, by the end of my time there, um, I studied voice in the music department as a non-major. And the, one of the great things about the University of North Carolina is they have a professional theater called Playmakers Repertory Company right, that, is a, right. that is affiliated with the university. And they have a master's of fine arts where there are acting uh, and design students there. But it's a highly professional setting. World-class artists work there. It's where I met uh, the first time I met Bartlett Sher, Tony Winner, who directed South Pacific and right. Bridges of Madison County and uh, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, we worked together on a, on a production of um, The Three Penny Opera. And then I worked with him again on the tour of South Pacific. Um, but you got to see a lot. Part of my degree was I was on the crew. I remember I dressed a production of As You Like It, and then I was in a show my senior year. And I just learned a lot. And that was when I, you know, validation is such a strange thing. But I was working with people who said, you should really do this for a living. And so I just, I got my... Um, I did my first professional job where I got paid that summer and then I moved to New York. Wow. That sounds really, really cool. Honestly. Um, <laughs> so you've been in over five Broadway productions, three national tours. Like you've done so much and an uncountable amount of regional productions. So <laughs> what have you learned almost over this whole entire process? Um, well, these I, I'm, I'm probably just going to uh, reiterate what I say. I teach as well, and I'm going to reiterate what I say to um, my classes. Um, the, the things that I've learned are uh, the only things that you can control are your work ethic and your attitude. Everyone wants to do this. There's so many people that want to act and perform, especially uh, on Broadway. Um, and you just have to know that no one's going to give it to you. You have to work, you have to study, you have to take the audition seriously. Um, and when you're, whether you're in an audition situation or you're working in a show, um, the easiest thing in the world to do is to be kind. You have to treat people with kindness. And that means everyone, not just the star of the show, but that means the people that are working backstage, the people that are working the front of house, that are selling the tickets, that are selling concessions, uh, that are the spotlight operators, no one is more important than another human being. So that's the thing. I won't say I learned that. I, I think that, um, I, I mean, I, it's been, it's been uh, reaffirmed as I've, as I've uh, worked throughout the years, but I, luckily I had really great parents who instilled those values in me. And um, I just think it's... Um, it's vital um, to a uh, to a really successful career in the theater as an actor, but as a human being too. Uh, and th there's one other thing that I think is very important is to not, in, at least in the audition situation, um, to not take things personally. You can work uh, as hard as you possibly can and know the material backwards and forwards. It's in your bones. You can be, um, super open-hearted and, and kind and people just love being in a room with you and you might just not be the quite the right fit for what those particular people are looking for and that's okay 
that's not a referendum on your talent or your preparation, unless it is, unless you're, you know, you're not nice and you haven't worked hard. But if you've done other things, if you can look yourself in the mirror and say, yes, I worked hard and I was, I worked, I worked hard enough that I could leave it out of the room, come in and be adaptable and um, able to take direction. And if you're kind and treat people with respect, uh, what you can do is you might not book that job, but you can win the room over. And that is what, it, that's, 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 that's a career. You know, it's not just about one job. You want to build a career because people are constantly working and uh, you want to keep sowing seeds because that team that worked on that musical that you didn't get is going to do another musical or play and they're going to hire you because they remembered you. And this time you're the right fit. You're the right piece to the puzzle. Um, so those are the, I think those are the three main things that I've learned, but there's lots of small lessons, you know, um, make sure you're always wearing your microphone when you step on stage. Uh-huh. If you, if you, you know, don't forget that. Has that uh, ever happened to you? Were you forgotten to wear your microphone? It's, I don't think it's ever happened to me I, I, in the sense I've never set foot on stage and, um, uh, been without a mic, but I've definitely been in full costume and been like, oh no, I've got to take all this off and put it back on. But I know a lot of people who it has happened to. And uh, it's mortifying, but also pretty funny. Um, and and I, I'm going to say one other thing that I've learned is the great thing about theater, if you're lucky to do it, especially uh, professionally, is oftentimes you're doing it eight times a week. And that means that if you feel like a moment didn't quite land or you felt maybe inauthentic or there was some kind of error, you dropped a line, you messed up a lyric, um, you're not feeling your best, you always get another shot at it. You get to do the show again. Maybe that day if you're doing, uh, if it happens in a matinee in your evening show, you get to rediscover all the time. And that's one of the great gifts of being a theater actor. Yeah, 100%. And mm-hmm. so what are some of the most, well, I was actually glad you brought up that mic thing. Cause I was actually going to touch on that now, but what are some of those things that have happened during any performances you've done? Just performance fails. You could say where you're meant to do one thing and you just do something else and you don't know how to recover from it or just something like that, or just something memorable, but memorable. Oh, that's I, happened. Can, I have, I have a very memorable story. Um, I was uh, one of the standbys and um, for the people that are listening, a standby is uh, an offstage understudy who covers principal roles. And that is their sole responsibility. They're not in the show every night, but if someone is uh, on vacation or sick, they go in for that role. Um, But they don't cover ensemble roles, which I've also done. I've been a standby. I've been a swing uh, where I cover ensemble and principal roles. And then I've been in the ensemble of a show and understudied uh, principal roles. I've also been a principal and understudied another principal role. So uh, but the standby, uh, we were in the second week of previews for Falsettos, um, which was produced by Lincoln Senate at the Walter Kerr Theater in uh, the fall of 2016. And I was one of two standbys for the three male characters, three adult male characters, because there's a, a, a young boy in the show as well. And I, my friend, uh, the wonderful uh, three-time Tony nominee, Brandon Uranowitz, uh, was feeling poorly, but they thought that he was going to be able to do the show. Now, mind you, we're in the second week of previews. Th- things are changing. Uh, he was at the doctor during rehearsal uh, in the afternoon while we were making little changes before our preview that night. And uh, they said, you know, he's going to be in the show. In fact, could you come back a little early and show him some of the things, little things we changed? Because I had stood in 
uh, for lighting purposes. Um, but I had never had a rehearsal uh, because, again, we were in second week of previews. And about 545, uh, Brandon texted me and said, would you kill me if I called out? And I was like, uh-huh. Oh, no, no, I won't kill you. Um, and then the stage manager called and said, you're on. I ran back to the theater because I was on a dinner break. Um, started rehearsing. They were putting costumes on me, which they had not had in the building. I'm also at least four, four inches taller than uh, Brandon and bigger. Uh, so his costumes never would have fit. Uh, although I did end up with, there's a, if you see, if you have Broadway HD or you were lucky enough to see the show in person, uh, Falsettos is on Broadway HD and it's an incredible, um, production with Christian Borrell, Andrew Reynolds, Stephanie J. Block. Um, and there's at the beginning of the show, there's these robes, um, during the, uh, the song, uh, four Jews in a room bitching. And I did have to wear that robe and I was like, wow, this is really tight. But show was, you know, my heart was beating a mile a minute. Show was going actually really well. I was getting laughs. I felt very grounded after the first uh, opening number. And um, we got into the second act. And there's a num- number called Everyone Hates His Parents. And that's where uh, uh, Mendel, the psychiatrist who Brandon was playing uh, and the character I was playing that, that night, uh, is explaining to the character of Jason, um, who's the young boy. Uh, he's, you know, just he's complaining about his parents' behavior who are divorced. And, um, and he's just explaining, you know, that sort of ethos, like, yeah, everyone hates it. It hates their parents. At some point you just get over it. And it was a real, it's a really great number. And the and sort of the end of the number is that you do a little bit of choreography and then it buttons. And so I was standing on this block and I jumped down and we both like, sort of like sashay across the stage and we do what's called a barrel roll. And then I would flip, uh, Anthony Rosenthal, who played Jason, uh, I just flip him over. He would mm-hmm. land and then he would shake. And as we start like doing the barrel roll, which is this thing where you like, um, uh, you, you jump in the air, like uh, one hip over the other. Uh, and I was like, something's wrong. I think my pants are coming down. Oh, no. And I got to, I got downstage center. And as I shook in Anthony's hand, my pants, in front of 900 plus people fell all the way to the ground because these were things that they had just gone ran and bought, um, that didn't quite fit and they weren't meant to be danced in. Uh, and the thing is like, you know, I, I, so many people have come up to me saying they were there when it happened. It wasn't mortifying to me because I was so focused on the next moment was there was a blackout. I had to take Anthony's hand, make sure he got off stage safely. And I had a quick change. And I was just like, I got to get through the show. But I do remember there was a blackout, grab Anthony's hand, and I'm trying to pull my pants. And I just am muttering, my pants fell down on Broadway, my pants fell down on Broadway. <laughs> um, so that's, that's maybe the most, um, what, what should have been the most embarrassing thing, but it, it, it wasn't that, uh, in the end, it wasn't that embarrassing. And frankly, um, I, uh, I, I don't embarrass easily. So, I, it, and, and that's yet again, sort of what I said before is like, I ended up doing the show three shows in a row because Brandon was out for three performances and I got to improve on things, uh, the next day. Um, and my pants, pants yeah, yeah. My pants stayed up. Good. Okay. Well, that's, that's a good thing. (laughs) So, um, a little while ago, you touched back on the tours that you've been on. You've been on three national tours. So Mm -hmm. can you tell me more about how the process worked and especially 
how did you stay energized during those national tours, given the travel time difference and even venue changes that you guys incurred? That's a good question. Um, it's a great, I'm going to say this, uh, as I mean, I know that tours exist in the UK and I'm sure that in, in Australia and probably in Asia, I'm sure in Asia as well. But, uh, I would say as an American, it's a great way to see the country and sometimes Canada and sometimes other countries if the show goes there. Uh, so that's a great thing as a young person, a great opportunity. Uh, the way it works is most of the time, most of the time, and sometimes there are standalone tours, which were not on Broadway, but the three tours I've done were tours that were based on shows that have been on Broadway. Uh, they're called first national tours. They're like the ones that went out right away. Uh, but the, the changes can be, for instance, in South Pacific, uh, South Pacific was at the Vivian Beaumont, uh, which is a huge, huge, huge thrust stage, like the Phoebe's and the song, um, Bloody Mary would come running down and they had like maybe, you know, 25 meters to run down the stage. Uh, and most, most of the touring houses in, if not all, uh, in, America are proscenium. So they had to adjust that blocking. Um, sets had to change. Set size had to change. Um, uh, I did the tour of Legally Blonde. And uh, while it wasn't a financial success on Broadway, uh, the tour was a very huge finance, financial success. And it's been a financial success and, and commercial success um, uh, and critical success in lots of places around the world. But one of the things that they did to make it affordable was on the tour, they took out all the automation. There was nothing mechanical. We, the, all the actors and sometimes the crew, but mainly the actors were the people that were pushing the sets on, you know, and uh, things like that. And it, it was a way to, uh, Jerry Mitchell is great at this. It was a oh, way a to direct it. Yeah. He directed and choreographed uh, Legally Blonde and he's exceptional at, at many things, but at keeping costs down and, and making it actor driven so that the show can run. He thinks about the longevity and that uh, I only did the first year of the tour, um, but that tour ran for two years, made back its money very quickly. Um, uh, was a huge, huge financial success. And, um, and you know, the, I think in terms of the, you know, again, your job, you do, I'll say it again, you're doing it eight times a week, but your job is to make it fresh. You know, there's audience members that are seeing that show or just a show for the first time in their life. You know, your job is to convince them that that is the first time that that character is ever saying those lines or singing that, that song that that is happening right there in that moment. So that's the job. That's the craft. That's what you studied for, you know? And I think the way to um, just sort of like an, uh, one way to stay energized is you're in a new city and that's always cool, you know, for a week or two or four weeks, um, unless you're in Hamilton and then you're in this new city for six months because uh, that is so successful that they stay mm -hmm. places for a long time. But that's one great thing. You're constantly having new opening nights, um, which is really cool. People are excited uh, um, for you to be there. Um, those communities all over the country are, are just thrilled to have live theater which is something uh, you know, I think we're all looking uh, forward to getting back. Oh, of course. Um, and, um, and, and that, but there's always, you know, as, as, as much as, you know, that question gets asked a lot, it's a good question about how do you stay fresh, but that's your job. And there's always something new uh, in front of you 
um, that you can focus on to discover uh, something you never have before. I mean, they say like acting is reacting, you know, it's about uh, putting your focus on another, your scene partner and they, they are going to, um, they're going to stimulate your response by what they do. So uh, my advice and what I've tried to do whenever I feel like I'm sort of stuck in a rut is like put the focus on your scene partner and that is going to create new moments. Uh, even in a show that you've done 500 times, I promise you it will. And if that's the way to keep it alive. Mm-hmm. And if you reach a point where it doesn't feel alive, then that's the time to move to the next show. Right. Because uh, last week I was actually talking to Megan Picerno, who uh, has played Christine on Phantom on Broadway and all of that. And she was telling me that some things that she finds is that she'll say a line hundreds and hundreds of times. And then on her 60th show or whatever, she'll finally realize why that character is saying the line. And has that ever happened to you? Yeah, I, I think that... Um Absolutely. And that's, that's, that's the incredible uh, thing about live theater is those discoveries are always happening and uh, they will happen anew. Like you'll make a discovery about one moment and then six months later, like, Oh wait, maybe it's this. Now the trick is you want to work within the parameters of what you've been, how you've been directed, the director's vision, what the character would do. Um, You know, you don't want to change something just to change it. Um, but yes, those moments happen all the time and they should happen. You know, they, sh- they should happen. They're, and it's, it's so nuanced. There are little, little things that can make, uh, that little ripples that can make a wave that can uh, create an entirely new discovery in the character or how a scene could be played. Um, it's exciting. It's, 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 it's such an exciting career to be a part of. Um, and I've been doing it for two decades and it's, it's, it's still thrilling. And that's why, again, uh, not to be redundant, but that's why I think we're all chomping at the bit to get back to it because there's nothing like it. Um, it's such an actor's medium mm-hmm. as opposed to film and television, which is uh, as wonderful as it is, it's technically different and it's an editor's medium. You know, you can do uh, a, a take, uh, your favorite take, and that's not the one they choose. Um you can you can make choices, and then uh, while it's not captured on film, you get to make uh, maybe a slightly different choice that will affect things uh, in a really um, unique way later, uh, like the next performance. Um, yeah, and no, I totally agree. Theaters, a lot of people compare theater and film as if they're the same, but they're couldn't be more different in terms of the way people view it as well. The, just the experience of theater is so different. And that's one of the things in the future, you know, there's that whole thing, oh, robots will come in and take over all the jobs, but theater and all that, it just, the actor itself, like that cannot be replicated by anything. It's been around for thousands of years and it's going to be around for thousands more. Uh, there's, you're, you're exactly right. No one else can do it uh, except human beings. And while it's great, listen, I, I love going to uh, a movie as much as anyone. It seemed like a big uh, blockbuster on a huge screen. But the energy exchange between an audience and, uh, and, and a theater performer across those footlights is unquantifiable. Um, 
it's so special and so unique and um and we'll get it again you know it, yes. it, it's, yes. take, it's taking long it's taking longer than any of us wanted to but it'll come back definitely so earlier you said that you have done everything in a show from being a principal performer to an understudy swing standby to a principal role understudying another principal role so mm -hmm. a question that i have is when a principal actor is out sick how does the order of who performs goes is it the understudy is the first choice the standby is or does it differ per show it differs per show. Um, there, most of the time, it's up to, to the, it's the discretion of the director, stage manager, um, pretty much the director saying, this is who I want, or maybe the producer. Um, sometimes one person gets to go on more. Sometimes it's split evenly. Sometimes it's just like everyone's out, so you're going to do it, even if you've never done it before. Um, and there are there are this is happens more rarely now but occasionally there are contractual um uh there's contractual language that guarantees that one person will always be the person to go on uh, but that's up to their to themselves or their agent or manager to negotiate but um it just sort of depends on who's leading uh the creative team and uh, what those how those decisions are based and oftentimes that can change too you know like um they might uh see one person as uh the as the optimal choice and that uh can change when someone really shows up and, and delivers um and you know so the 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 that was a long answer, um, but the, it's just really up to creative people. And, um, but again, it goes back to what I said earlier. If you work hard and you're kind and you kill it, then I've, so many understudies have taken over, you know, and, and taken over the role when, when it's become available. Uh, and that's an exciting thing, but yeah, it, it, it just, it sort of depends on the individual creative team who's making the decisions and the demands of the show. Right. And how exactly does it work when you're a principal role understudying another principal role? Well, um, it, it's, 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 it's not dissimilar. Um, the, the trick is, and this is true if you're in the ensemble of a show and understanding a principal role, it's just make, might make the learning a little more difficult because one of the benefits of being a standby or a swing is you're off stage and you can watch the rehearsal process. You get to watch the show. You can learn it that way. You can spend time working on it. But when you're in the show, you're focusing on your own track because that's the thing that you need to nail down. Um, that's essential. Uh, and um, then, then you get to focus on your understudy responsibilities, but, or maybe you're doing them simultaneously if you can. Um, but the, the only difference between a principal covering a principal and a ensemble member covering a principal is there's probably a little more money involved. Uh, for when you go on, because um, it's 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 while it happens, uh, it's it's somewhat rare. Um, but you know, in in the production of Company that I'm a standby for, um, we have two actors. Uh, it's all principals. There's no ensemble, uh, and we have two actors who are covering, who are in the show every night, and they're covering other principal roles. Uh, one other principal role and um uh 
part of that too is economics. You know, if, if they have someone that's qualified and multifaceted and can play multiple parts, um, then they're, they're like, if they were able to hire like a company, they didn't have to hire an extra understudy because they had two people that were playing certain parts where they could cover uh, these other principal parts and they save themselves some money. They save themselves an extra salary. Right. Right. Yeah, but it's not that it's not quite that different. You know, it's just in terms of the learning curve, it might be um, steeper because you don't get the opportunity to to work on it as much. But wouldn't it be a little bit more just um, just when it's actually happening? The one of the principal roles is going on for the other principal role, and then there's a standby or swinger understudy going on for that role. So isn't wouldn't it just make more sense for an understudy or somebody else to just cover that one principal role instead of two changes going around? You would think that, Arav. You would think that, and yes, it would. But some, like I said, some that's not always the most um, the logical decision is not the one that gets made the most and. You know, the, the truth is sometimes, um, like especially when a principal is covering a principal, part of it is like notoriety. You know, like uh, if, a, if, a, if a big name who sells tickets might be out, um, they sort of maybe soften the, the blow of the audience's disappointment by having someone who has um, uh, a, a bunch of credits covering that part, you know, or going on. They feel like they're seeing something very special. And let me say though, that that doesn't mean that that person is any more talented than the understudy who might not have as many credits. It's just that sort of a producer's uh, idea and, and a way to appease an audience. But yes, it would make more sense. It's just sometimes, um, you know, sometimes you also figure that people make mistakes. They've hired someone who might not, their energy might, isn't quite the right fit. Uh, maybe their voice isn't quite the right fit. Their dancing isn't up to par, you know, and it's, and that's no one's fault, you know, um, but yes, it would make more sense, but doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, this is a question that I kind of ask everyone, and it's a very, very vague, open-ended question, but it's essentially just what is your dream role? So a dream role could be on stage, off stage. You could, it could be, you want to direct your own show. You want to write a script for a TV show or, you know, whatever it is, but what is that one project which you've always wanted to do? Um, I, my, my dream is to have some, um, my, yeah, my dream is to have a, a, a musical, uh, written for me, uh, that takes into account my, um, specific abilities and, 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 and personality and gifts and uh, uniqueness. Cause we're all unique. Um, and I've gotten to do a ton of new musicals. Um, I've worked with the composer, Michael John Lacusa four times, and I've gotten to do incredible parts for him. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the answer, you know, and, and I, but there's so, so much I want to do. Um, you know, I, um, I'd have a, I have a I have a two man cabaret that I do with my friend Jeff Crady, um, and it's called a Fine Bromance, and we've done it in New York twice and uh, around the country several times, and uh, I'm really anxious to uh, write a new one with him because that was one of the um, most fulfilling things I've ever done, because it was something that we owned and and uh, and birthed, and 
Uh, and also, you know, I have a, um, uh, an uh, Instagram li- uh, live show that I do with my friend, David Josephsberg, uh, who's the incredibly funny and talented, uh, Broadway star called, uh, sessions with Josephsberg. And, uh, we do that on, we sort of, every week we flop, we'll go live on my Instagram account or David's and it's just a feel good thing. We sing and tell jokes and try to get people. And I'd love to do more of that on a, on a bigger platform with him. Um, but just keep acting, keep uh, my, my goal in this, life and in this industry is to be pushed um and to be challenged um and to ask uh, to be asked a, a lot of myself and to ask that of myself as well um so but yeah something something that's uh, something that I can create that is like that 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 I help um shape that's my that, that that's my ideal you know again I've gotten to play like lots of um dream roles uh i mean i played billy bigelow in carousel and uh the beast in beauty and the beast and uh floyd collins and, and floyd collins I, i've gotten to do a lot of things regionally that i just loved so much um and you know originated roles uh in like tryouts out of town that i might not have gotten to do on broadway but uh, that's all really fulfilling and um i just want more of that i want to keep getting challenged and um right. and to, and to be and to be happy but not satisfied mm-hmm. you know right that's my goal so i wanted to touch upon the originating of roles that you brought up because you are actually part of a world premiere production of um rain where you played alec directed by barry edelstein is that right mm-hmm. that's correct that's right. michael john lacusa wrote that piece yeah yeah so, I mean, I just have to ask, what was it like being part of a world premiere of such an amazing production with such an amazing creative team behind it? Uh, I mean, it, it was incredible. It's one of my favorite experiences ever. I, um, it was at the old, the very famed Old Globe in, uh, in San Diego, in Balboa Park. And that, that institution is astonishing because they have a main stage and they have a smaller stage. And then every summer... They have their Shakespeare Festival where they uh, do Shakespeare and rep outdoors like the Globe in, in London. Uh, you know, it's fashion on that. And it's, it's the institution is amazing. I've worked there twice. And um, uh, Barry Edelstein, who was the artistic director at the, at the Old Globe, uh, directed the show. And it was his first musical. But his, his, first of all, he's incredibly kind, but he's a wonderful leader. He's so uh, adept at... Um, at pursuing truth and authenticity in the scene work and examining the text. Um, it's uh, such a special experience. I got to work with uh, my amazing friend, uh, Betsy Morgan, who played, uh, I played opposite her. Uh, she was my wife and, um, and uh, she's one of the most astonishing actresses uh, I've ever uh, had the good fortune to share a stage with. Eden Espinoza, uh, who is out of an out of this world talent. Uh, Jared's oh, yeah. really, uh, Jared Gerilli, who's extraordinary, um, Elizabeth Davis, uh, uh, Jeremy Davis. I mean, like just Marie France, uh, Arcila, uh, an incredible group of people. And I, first of all, I love San Diego, California, but I love that theater. Michael John Lacusa is, is one of the most astonishing musical theater c- composers ever. And, uh, his stuff is so dense and actable and, um, he, uh, it just felt, it really felt like we we're building something special, 
um, and we're the first to do it. And there's, 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 uh, and that's not like braggadocio. That's just like, that's such an honor to be the first people to put this, you know, there's developmental stuff and they might do readings, but we're the first people to put it in front of a paying audience. Uh, and how, how lucky are we to get to do that? And I've, you know, I've, I've been so fortunate in that regard. You know, I did a, the premiere of Michael John's show, Queen of the Mist at Transport Group. Um, I originated the role of Jim Hardy and Irving Berlin's Holiday Inn at Goodspeed Opera House. Um, I uh, I did last last year at this time, I was part of an original musical called Becoming Nancy at the Alliance Theater that Jerry Mitchell uh, directed. And he's actually um, uh, is the one that uh, had the idea to make this book into a musical. It's just, I've been very fortunate in that sense. And I think that the difference between that and doing a revival or being a replacement in a show that's, that's, uh, might be new, but you didn't originate it. It's just like this, the ownership, you know, it's, it's your DNA. It's your theatrical DNA on that part, you know? Uh, and if you're lucky and people are collaborative, as inspired as you are by the creative team, you are making choices that inspire them and then become canon, you know, they become indelible because right. uh, those lines change or the way uh, a musical phrase is, is written, or even the keys that they're written, if it gets published, you know, are, were meant for you. Um, and that's, that's incredibly exciting. And, you know, there's a lot uh, with rain particularly, I mean, it's a tough subject matter, but gosh, I really wish that I could get to do that show again, because not that it's, you know, it's, you sort of feel like, uh, not that you're trying to recreate the experience. You just want to keep working on it because you don't, it's hard to like capture, you can't capture lightning in a bottle twice in, in the sense of what it feels like, but to continue to develop it and watch it grow, that would be, um, that'd be a really exciting thing. Uh, but yeah, I've been very, very, very blessed in the, in those opportunities. Um, hugely so. Yeah. I mean, they sound amazing. So, so one final question do you have any advice for people wanting to be in the performing arts industry? Uh, sure. Um, I think that um, if you're, if you're fortunate enough to love it deeply, then pursue it with every fiber of your being. Um, it's, 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 it's truly a special thing if, for whatever reason, a person has been afforded the gifts of the ability to sing, uh, the ability to interpret choreography well as a dancer, the, uh, the ability to just intuitively interpret text and, and, um, and exhibit human behavior on screen or, or, or you know, on stage. So embrace that. And when you find it, um, know that, uh, what it takes is lots of study, you know, get into voice lessons, get into acting class, get into dance class, see show, you know, when we can see shows again, see as much as you can to learn, um, take some time if you can to work backstage, you know, to, to be on the crew of something, even an amateur production, 
Um, so you can learn the inner workings and the fact that it, it's such a community. Um, but no, I would also say that know that you, you, like if you choose to be a performer, no one else can be you. You are a completely unique diamond and embrace that. Don't ever try to be something that you think people want you to be. Be the best version of you, developing that, developing your talents and your gifts. Um, I mean, be adaptable, be directable, and be, like I said, work hard and be kind, but embrace the uniqueness of you. That's, that's my best advice. And because so often young performers, and I did this myself, I get caught in the trap of, well, I, you know, I can do anything and I can be whatever they want me to be. No, well, no. I mean, you can be what you, you get to be yourself. That's an amazing thing. You get to be yourself through the prism of that character. But um, I just say, if you love it, pursue it with every ounce of might that you have and fervor um, because it demands that it's, it, it is, it is the, the art form demands that kind of commitment and it will unlock so much um, for you, so much joy and, uh, and enrichment. It really will. Um, if you, if you really want to do it, get after it, like really get after it and don't let people tell you no. That's amazing and very inspirational, I must say. <laughs> well, that's a wrap. So thank you so much for joining me today, Tally. It's my pleasure, Ara. Thank you for your incredibly um, uh, insightful and intelligent questions. Uh, I, I wanted to ask before we go, well, how did you um, become a, a, a lover of the theater? Well, okay. So for me, I don't, I don't remember this at all, but it was, I was two years old and my mom, somehow I got into this production of Alice in Wonderland. Um, I went to this uh, preschool and I think it was connected to some other theater organization. And whenever they needed little kids, they would just take from a classroom. And I think I played one of the cards. I was on stage for two seconds. I ran across like the stage with 50 other two-year-olds just like me and I don't remember it at all but apparently I had a lot of fun and then when I was six years old five or six I want to say my mom put me into a dance class and and then that I remember and it was the day of the performance and I was so nervous I it was really like in the movies where my mom tried to take me out of the car, but I was literally holding on and she was holding me sideways, trying to pull me off. Like that's actually how it went. I was screaming. I did not want to go on stage at all. And up until I was physically pushed on stage, I was not, I wasn't happy. I just wanted to leave. But as soon as I got on stage, I was so, I I just loved it. And I kept, and I just told my mom after that, I this is, I just want to keep doing it. And then, you know, I took some musical theater classes and singing lessons. And then 10 years later, here we are. I love that. That's incredible. Um, do you get many performance opportunities in Dubai? Is there a thriving musical theater scene there? In a sense, uh, yeah, we actually just opened up the Dubai Opera House a couple of years ago. And that's brought wow. a lot of external productions, like touring productions worldwide to Dubai, which has been amazing to see that caliber of performances. Um, and I'm very lucky to go to a school where the performing arts is very highly valued, which is a really special thing. And so I get a lot of theater opportunities there and I'm just 
hoping that it continues like that for a long time. Well, it will. If you want it to, it will. So keep pursuing it. Uh, keep working hard. Keep uh, keep your love for it um, at the forefront of your heart, and uh, it, it'll happen for you um, because um, uh, you can make it happen for yourself. That's the dream. Yeah. Good man. So, and a thank you to everybody who tuned in. And just don't forget to look out for future episodes airing every Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Stay safe, everyone. Bye.